This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters. By building a platform to share challenges, network, and thoughts from leaders, the LabOps Leadership Podcast is elevating LabOps professionals as well as the industry as a whole. With the intent of unlocking the power of LabOps, we deliver unique insights to execute the mission at hand, standardize the practice of LabOps, their development, and training. Welcome to the LabOps Leadership Podcast. I'm Carrie Anderson, and I'll be co-hosting today. I am the co- one of the co-founders of the LabOps Unite group. Great. Thanks, Carrie. And we're excited to be here today with John Curran, who is the VP of Laboratory Operations at Boston Gene. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Great. So we're just going to get jump right in and get you to tell us a little bit about who you are and where you got to be where you are today. Sure. So if it's not immediately apparent, I have a little bit of an accent. I'm not originally from these shores. Uh, so I'm originally from Scotland, specifically from Glasgow. And I did my PhD in molecular genetics at the University of Glasgow, and then uh, a postdoc in, um, in, in Glasgow. And then uh, fate brought me to to the US. It was actually my wife who uh, is also in, um, in biotech and she went for an interview for a, one job and was offered a different job, which involved moving to the U.S. So we jumped in with both feet, moved over here. I honestly didn't know what I was going to do at the time. I presumed I would try and get another postdoc, but I didn't think I was that good at being a scientist. I didn't think I was a great you know, research and development scientist. And luckily for me, despite the accent, I was actually born in Canada. So through my Canadian citizenship, it was relatively easy to get a, a visa and a job. And my first job was in the R&D department at a company called Athena Diagnostics. Um, and they still exist, but they're now owned by Quest Diagnostics. And in that role, I was developing um, Sanger sequencing-based PCR tests uh, for a variety of different neurological disorders. And I've been doing that for a couple of years. and thought to myself, what am I going to do when I'm older? Am I still going to be a bench scientist? What what does the future hold for me? And at that point, um, in early 2000s, I I decided to go back to school part-time. So I was still working, but I went back to school and did an MBA at Clark University. And the, the rationale was to learn more about the business side of science. And in doing that, I got really fascinated with operations management. And so my specialty was in operations management. Then in 2004, I joined my first startup company, a company called Corelogen Diagnostics. Uh, they no longer exist. They're now owned by LabCorp. So there's a little bit of a trend here of my previous companies being bought up by large companies. Uh, and again, I started out there developing um, Sanger sequencing-based um, tests, uh, this time in, in endocrinology. And around about 2006, uh, the company Corelogen decided to sort of shift their model, and we actually opened our own laboratory we had been working essentially as a contract laboratory for somebody else and so we opened our own, own laboratory which uh, led me down the the massachusetts license clia cap 
New York State uh, license pathway uh, and um, learned a lot in the process of building a lab that met all the regulatory requirements that the uh, clinical diagnostics industry operates under. And uh, we, we developed a bunch of tests and, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and around about that time, towards uh, the end of the, the, the noughties, around about 2010, that was a revolution happening in, in the sequencing industry, and that was the evolution of next generation sequencing. And in 2010 was where I got my sort of big break, if you like, uh, and I joined another startup company. Uh, this company you may, may have heard of, uh, they uh, were Foundation Medicine. And Foundation Medicine pioneered the use of next generation sequencing in cancer diagnostics. Now, of course, we're not diagnosing cancer. We're looking at the genetics of each individual's tumor to see if we can understand what's driving that tumor and lead to a better therapeutic outcome for the patient. But I joined that company. I was employee number 17. Um, and that company is now absolutely massive, fully owned by Roche. So another large takeover. Uh, continuing my trend of my previous companies being bought by larger companies, but a very successful operation. So I, I, I took us through the licensing process there, built the first lab out. We moved lab uh, to um, their, their current location, and I believe they're now building a mega lab down uh, at the seaport in Boston. So uh, a tremendous success story, a lot of fun, learned a lot there as well. Uh, and really um, move from sort of lower volume, moderate volume, high complexity diagnostic testing into much higher volume. Foundation Medicine was doing hundreds of samples per day. From there, I actually took a bit, a bit of a, a brief uh, hiatus into um, into the biotech world. So I'd spent all of my time, all of my career thus far in sequencing and, and managing sequencing labs, operations management of sequencing labs. But I never took the process to the end where uh, I was involved in some something that directly helped the patient, i.e. a drug. So I moved to Neon Therapeutics. The goal was to build them a sequencing lab and manage that, amongst other things. It didn't quite work out, but uh, that company were developing um, cancer vaccines, and, and they uh, were bought by BioNTech. Uh, if that name's not familiar, BioNTech, uh, the company who made the Pfizer vaccine. So... I guess you could say that another former company bought by a larger company or involved with a larger company. And then in 2019, and I apologize for the length of this introduction, I moved to Boston Gene to get back into clinical diagnostics with the remit to, to build Boston Gene a lab, take us through the licensing process, and then help us scale and grow as we try and take a bit of the market away from Foundation Medicine and other companies like Caris and Tempest and, and develop a, a, a platform, a sequencing platform that, that harnesses the power of RNA sequencing as well as uh, DNA sequencing. So Boston Gene uh, sequences the whole exome of each patient's um, uh, tumor, as well as the transcriptome. That's kind of novel in the industry and RNA sequencing, although much harder to do, uh, RNA is a much more delicate molecule. It, it does give you a lot more information than DNA, a lot more powerful um, insights into the patient's disease. And we're developing a whole platform around that as we speak. And that's where we are today. That's where I've arrived at today after, what's that, 22 years in the US, uh, at least 18 of that involved directly in clinical diagnostics, uh, lab laboratory operations type uh, roles. 
That's amazing. That was that's a great summary. I think there's a lot to dig in there. I'm fascinated first and foremost from your transition as like a research scientist into operations management. I'm fascinated by that because we do see a lot of people who love the intention of being a scientist, but you know, maybe it's just like not the right fit for them. The pressure isn't what they want. They don't like being stuck at a bench all day running numbers and, you know, experiments. So I'm fascinated by that. So I, you know, props to you for making that transition. And obviously it served you well. What I'm a little bit more interested in specifically is you're running lab operations at this large organization. So can you dive a little bit more into what your group is doing and how it's directly impacting the development of these this new platform that you're working on? Like how is the lab ops department or you know teammates contributing to that? Sure. So so in clinical diagnostics, uh, the R and D department is mostly small R big D. It's mostly development work. We take um, techniques that have been perfected typically in academia or elsewhere. Uh, and we commercialize them to make them work in the in the clinical setting at, at volume, and and so that's what we've been doing here. Obviously, uh, next generation sequencing is not new now. There's a lot of companies doing that, and they're doing everything from small gene panels to the whole genome. Uh, we chose to do the exome, so it's so not a technically difficult process. RNA sequencing is a lot different uh, in that um, uh, getting high quality or good enough quality RNA out of FFPE samples, which is typically the sample type that we receive for testing, is not easy. And what we do is we uh, we run both the uh, whole exome sequencing and the RNA sequencing, as well as whole exome sequencing of a normal sample, so a non-tumor sample from the patient, a blood sample or a saliva sample, so that we can truly understand the somatic alterations that are taking place within that tumor. And then we analyze all three together and, and it gives us a, a really broad um, and deep dive into the patient's genetics and understanding of, of what might be driving their tumor. So what my team does is quite simply, we receive the samples, we enter the, the patient details and the order details into our, our limbs and our laboratory information management system. And then we perform our assay in the laboratory, making sure that we're adhering to all you know, regulatory requirements to all of our protocols, making sure that um, uh, we're taking um, uh, accurate, uh, detailed notes of, of each step that we perform, the reagents that are included, the equipment that are included, the personnel that are performing the test, making sure that they're qualified for use, both the reagents and the personnel, and making sure that we deliver um, high quality data to our analysts to, to turn that into a report. So at the end of the sequencing phase of our um, of our process, and I guess you could call that the wet bench element of our process, that's typically the end of, of my team's involvement. At that point, the analytics team will look at the data and understand what is in there and, and turn that into a report. Now, of course, there are instances where something goes wrong, the quality is not high enough or there's a failure and then the sequencing department uh, will, will repeat, uh, my team will repeat some of the work. But by and large, um, it's a, a fairly straightforward and, and unidirectional flow where samples arrive, we process them through our laboratory using the, the various techniques to generate sequencing libraries and then sequencing, sequencing those libraries and then passing the data off to the, the, the analysts for, for report generation. 
uh, and and what we do on a daily basis is is very routine yeah, and and you know a lot of people uh, would would call it boring but it's really really important to be boring it's really important to be consistent it's really important to maintain extremely high levels of quality and to be always looking for opportunities to improve that quality that process that turnaround time and so that's what we're doing right now we're a relatively small and young company uh, we've developed a process We've automated that process, and we're now in the process of scaling it, making sure that the process works at higher volumes. And that's a large part of operations management, is making sure that something that works when you've got 10 samples will also work when you've got 1,000 samples. Uh, and it's something that uh, my R&D colleagues fail to understand, despite my continual banging on about it. You know, If they're on an experiment uh, with 10 samples and nine of the samples work, they're really happy with that. That's a great result. Nine out of 10 is pretty good for them. But nine out of 10 equates to 90 out of 100, you know, 900 out of 1,000. And then we're talking about 100 failures for every 1,000 samples, and that's really bad. That's really bad for operations. So another part of the role is to work with uh, R&D to make sure that what they're building, what they're developing essentially for clinical use is going to be stable, is going to be scalable, and is going to work with high reproducibility and reliability across all of the tests that we run. John, you've had an incredible career, and I'd be curious to know, throughout the different labs you've worked, I'm sure you've faced some very common struggles. How have you worked to overcome those? So the, the process of taking a lab through the licensing is not easy, but there's, there is a process. And the process of you know, automating a, a, a process is, is not easy, but you can do it. What is harder? What I find the hardest element in, in LabOps management is employee retention. And I kind of touched upon it earlier. It's not a glamorous role. You don't get the freedom to do different things every day. When the company gets large, as Foundation Medicine did, as I hope Boston Gene will do, then people become more and more pigeonholed or, or, or siloed. And, and so they don't get the opportunity to try different things. And then they're looking over the fence at their colleagues in R&D or other departments who get to do different things, who don't have to work on holidays, who don't have to work on weekends. And, you know, they, they, they look for another opportunity. You know, there's in the Boston area, as I'm sure you're well aware, there are lots and lots, many, many, many uh, universities and colleges pumping out uh, science graduates every year. And so despite the fact that the job descriptions that we'll put out are very specific and will be very clear, both in the job description and in any interviews, that we're looking for somebody to do a very specific role, kids these days, they want to get a job, I understand it. So they say, yes, that's fine with me, I'll take that job. And then a year or two into it, when they realize, yeah, this is not that much fun, I don't have the same freedom as my friends or my colleagues, then they look to move on. So employee retention is difficult. And what I've done over the years is just try and find ways to continually recognize the team, make sure that they are recognized, not just within my team, but within the company. Um, so every year there's a lab professionals week and we will celebrate that. And the whole company will celebrate that for our team. Um, and there's events put on that everybody gets to participate in, but it's specifically and principally for the for the lab ops team so that's a really important week for us to make sure that we we recognize the employees and then in various companies over the years we've had recognition schemes where you could nominate an employee for for outstanding work or you know for example um, if the company has core values and you see somebody exhibiting one of the core values you could you could nominate them and they would get a small 
you know, gift voucher or, or some other recognition. At the end of the day, if, if there's more money somewhere else or a better opportunity or a more exciting opportunity, you're going to lose people. There's not a lot you can do about that. And that's true of any industry, I would guess. But but uh, that's really what we've done over the years, uh, what I've been involved in over the years, is just trying to think of novel ways to recognize the employees and make them feel like they're, they're truly part of the process. Another thing that I'll do personally is I'll have my team present at company meetings rather than, at, rather than me doing it because people know me anyway and they've heard me speak before. They don't need to hear me speak again. It's much more important that my team get the credit and the recognition for the work that they're doing. And it's amazing how small things like that can really boost somebody's confidence and make them feel part of the team when they get to stand up and do something that they haven't had a chance to do before. And the company as a whole can then see them and say, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, so-and-so was 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 doing this kind of work and that's really interesting and really impressive and and you know i have a new newfound respect for for them that's been um helpful and rewarding in the past as well so those are i guess just a few examples i hope that answered the question yeah that was great to hear i i actually relate to that a lot i got my start in a clinical diagnostics lab and i do remember being surprised when i first started as to what the role was so it's great to hear that you know, your team has such an incredible leader that is helping them to be recognized and, you know, feel that. So one thing I'm also wondering, you know, you did mention automation. One things we see in lab ops is we're often trying to see how we can make the lab more efficient. So I'm curious, what's one thing or something that you've seen in lab ops in which we're trying to do that? So the key is not necessarily the automation. There are plenty of robots, liquid handlers, various machines out there. You can get them to work. The key is integrating that equipment with your limbs. Because, um, as I'm sure you know, the biggest cause of errors in in laboratory diagnostics is transcription errors. Um, And so we are working hard to um, eliminate all steps where manual data entry uh, is involved. And so that involves both feeding the automation a work list from your from your limbs. So let's say you're doing extraction rather than having to, to fill out a, a paper form that, that lists the samples that you're extracting and, and so on and so forth. You, you can feed that work list directly to the machine. The machine knows what samples it is getting. The, the samples are barcoded and we'll come on to barcoding in a moment. Um, so the machine can, can verify that it's received the right samples. It can execute the protocol, it can do the extraction, and then it can feed back the information to limbs. Now, extraction, the end of extraction is just, yes, it's, I'm, I'm finished, I'm done. But let's say it's a, a QC step. Let's say we're, we're performing quality control of the extracted DNA and we want to know how much DNA we received and what the quality is. The machines we use will give a data file from that, and we can suck that directly into our limbs. We can parse the data back out into the individual specimens. And then in limbs, we have a set of rules which tell us whether the sample passed or failed. Uh, that's also really important because we take away that element of, of or potential for error from, from the human. So a human could potentially pass a sample that should have failed or, or vice versa. So if we have hard and fast rules in our limbs, and the data comes in from our, 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 um, our tape station, for example, or our machine that we use to, to measure the amount of DNA we have, then we the, the samples that pass will automatically move forward in the queue, move on to the next work list, and the samples that fail will move back to the next available slot in the work list, and that really depends on, on what material we have left. Are we able to try a new extraction, for example? So 
it's a lot better, a little bit long-winded there, but essentially what I'm saying is it's really important to integrate equipment into, into your limbs. It's also important, therefore, when you're selecting equipment to automate your lab with, that that equipment is capable of talking to limbs because not all equipment can do that. So, so that's that's really important for us. That I mentioned barcoding, so I'll go a little bit uh, deeper into barcoding. It's really important to barcode your samples. You know, uh, people like human-readable forms. They like to write on tubes and, and, and be able to see it, but there's nothing better than a barcode and a barcode scanner to verify that you have the right sample, that you verify that you have transferred, you know, liquid from to be to to be correctly, you have full transparency of of the pipetting action of the transactions that take place from plate to plate, from tube to plate, etc. So, should anything go wrong later on, you have an easy way of going back and seeing where that could have happened. But it gives you that confidence that you're uh, you're working with the right samples and executing the right protocols when you have samples barcoded. And what we're trying to do at, at Boston Gene is take it a step further and have everything be barcoded. So. As you're aware, all reagents that are used in, in a clinical diagnostics process need to be validated or verified before use. And, and if they're not there, they're quarantined until that takes place. So if the reagent is barcoded and you scan the barcode into your limbs, limbs should tell you, yes, you're able to use that reagent or not. This reagent is not yet uh, verified. You can't use it and it won't allow you to use it. Uh, each person is required to be trained on every protocol in which they, they operate. So we can have training records in the background and limbs. And when you scan your barcoded badge, so when John scans his barcode to say, I'm about to execute the DNA extraction protocol, limbs can check and make sure that I am within my, my annual uh, training cycle for, for that protocol. And if I'm not, it wouldn't let me operate on it. So, so that's really where automation and can be powerful. It's is not just taking away from the manual pipetting, for example, and, and allowing you to do higher volume of samples, but integrating uh, all of the steps into your limbs so that you have you know much much tighter control of the over the process and much greater confidence in the quality of the data you generate. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think it's important because you know a lot of times we think about just getting that instrument that's going to help make the process faster. And it's good to take a step and look at the big picture and see where you can really be the most efficient. And that's a lot of times integrating into everything. So throughout your career, I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> What's some advice that you would offer to our listeners? I think one of the the, the pieces of advice I'd give is, is to not take um, things too personally when, when, when samples fail. There's an inherent failure rate for every assay. When you're working with patients, you know, you, you feel for every patient, and especially when you're working in cancer diagnostics, because I'm sure we've all been touched in some way, shape, or form by, by, by cancer in our families or friends' lives. And, and so there's a real desire to always make everything work. But in, in our instance, for example, uh, we take in uh, tumor samples, and this is the, more of a bioinformatics uh, rule than, than a lab rule. We need to have at least 20% of that tumor sample have cancer cells. It's actually something that, believe it or not, I didn't understand until I joined Cancer Diagnostics, that a tumor isn't 100% cancer. It's a mixture of cancer cells and, and normal cells. And so bioinformatically, if you have less than 20% of your tissue uh, as cancer cells, 
then it becomes really difficult to, to make the right kind of um, uh, calls on the data and there's a higher chance of error. There's a lot of noise in the data if you want to put it in a simple terms. And unfortunately, that's just what it is. You know, sometimes you have to reject a sample. Sometimes you have to say, I'm sorry, we can't process that sample. Do you have another sample? And people who don't understand, especially leadership sometimes, they're like, why are we rejecting these samples? And, and you know, you have to be strong and say, there are reasons for it and you present the evidence and, and you know the good thing about working in science is you can always present data to back up your your, your arguments and so that's what I would say is you know don't get overly involved it's difficult not to but you have to be pragmatic you have to be a little bit removed and make sure that at all times your your your, your operations are strong that the quality is high and that you're doing the best you can for most of the patients because you simply can't help every single patient that that's one lesson another, another lesson is not it's kind of similar theme not to get upset when people leave when people move on to pastures new because as i explained earlier there's a reasonably high turnover in clinical diagnostics. What you should do instead, my advice would be to be well prepared to have as many staff cross-trained and as many different protocols and disciplines as possible to cover for people leaving and, and to somewhat uh, anticipate that people will, will, will turn over so that you know you have a process in place to, to replace them either with a new hire or, or moving somebody from a, a different department. Actually, coming back, sorry, if I may, one of the things I do for retention um, uh, is, is give people opportunities to grow within the company. So one of my own personal philosophies is give people projects outside of their daily daily routine, their daily job. And sometimes these are small projects, obviously, because their daily job is very busy. And then see how they get on. A lot of people will tell you, I, I, I want to do extra things. I want to do X, Y, and Z. And then when they're presented with their, their opportunity, perhaps they don't really grab it with both hands. And others may. So give people opportunities. And for those that show real hunger to succeed, then I move them forward in the process into more sort of glamorous, as glamorous as clinical diagnostics can be, roles. So if you're in the extraction department and you're performing really well, then you know we'll move you into the, the sequencing department because that's a little bit cooler and it's something different. So we try that as well. But coming back to your question, yes, if people move on, my advice would be don't get too detached, sorry, attached to people. Uh, understand that they're moving on for whatever reason. There's nothing you can do about it. If you have good retention policies in place, if you're doing the best you can to provide the best work environment, the best training uh, for, for your employees, then you know people will move on and you just have to have plans in place to replace them when that happens. That's that's amazing advice. And I think that that can save us all a lot of heartache along the way. But, you know, I think it's it's interesting with the workforce workforce today. Um, it's just kind of become the standard. So I think that's great advice. And I, I think it's been amazing to hear about your career. And I love the the perspective that you have on a lot of these topics. And um, they definitely resonate with things that we're hearing in the industry too. So that's just great validation. And I, I really have lear learned a lot about clinical diagnostics here. So I really appreciate that. That's, that's where we're going to leave it today. But um, before we leave, I did want to just throw it out there for all of our listeners. Where can they find you? Where the, where can they follow what you're doing? Um, how can they get in touch with you if they have questions and want to join your team? Where can they find you? Well, uh, so they're welcome to visit the Boston Gene website. That's bostongene.com. I am not hugely present on social media, but I do have a LinkedIn account. So you can look me up there. Uh, Joanne Curran, Boston Gene. 
And we are growing. So uh, if there's anybody in the, the greater Boston area who's interested in a career in, um, in clinical diagnostics or learning more about it, they can, they can by all means reach out to me uh, through, through LinkedIn would probably be the best way to do that. Or you can send a message through our website. But we'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in joining the, joining the team. As I said at the start, we think we are uh, um, building something pretty special here. We're, we're differentiating ourselves from the other players in the diagnostics market. Uh, I didn't go into all the details of what Boston Gene is, is offering or planning to offer. But very briefly, if I may, we're, we're, we have a holistic approach to um, uh, diagnostics in, in terms of, of cancer diagnostics, at least. So. We're, we have other technologies which will complement our sequencing. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're going to be launching various uh, assays in, in uh, immunoprofiling and immunohistochemistry, immunofluorescence, all designed to allow a, a, a deeper dive and, as I said, a more holistic view of each patient's tumour. Uh, and, and there's nobody else in the market that's doing that right now. There's certainly people who offer sequencing and IHC and IF, for example, but those are all individual tests. Errors will be a complete comprehensive test with all the data analyzed in one place at one time. And when you do that, you find associations, you find links, you find things that you wouldn't see if you looked at each data set independently or individually. And so we think that's something that's really going to differentiate Boston Gene. And so I'd encourage anybody who's excited to hear that or when they look at our website, excited to learn what we're doing, to get in touch and we can have a conversation about where you might fit into Boston Gene in the future. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you, John, so much. This has been a pleasure and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. This was just a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the LabOps Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For show notes, resources, and more information about LabOps Unite, please visit us at labops.community slash podcast. This show is powered by Elemental Machines. This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.